Greetings once again, podcast listeners, and welcome back to Healthcare in America, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I am Dr. James Cole, and this month marks the one-year anniversary of my first podcast. Whereas I admit that it took me a few months to get it right, I feel that I've settled into a pretty comfortable groove. My goal remains to message the truths about healthcare in America, to dispel the myths and the conspiracy theories, and to further the knowledge of all who listen, empowering them to pursue the best pathway leading to better overall health. I know that I don't have an army of listeners, but to those of you who do download my recordings, I thank you all for indulging me. Today, I've decided to venture a bit outside of my comfort zone and talk about a very popular topic which I do not practice or fully understand. But being open to evaluating all of the variations of health and science, today I'm going to discuss alternative medicine. Over many years, I have had so many patients ask me my opinion on various popular alternative healthcare trends, but I was rarely able to render much of an opinion. But I have since done a lot of reading on alternative medicine, and because many of the patients I treat subscribe to these non-traditional paradigms of healthcare, I chose to learn as much as I could about them. To be clear, I am clearly in the camp of those who practice standard, traditional, Western-style medicine and surgery. However, I've become open to some aspects of alternative healthcare as I've come to recognize the benefits of incorporating certain non-traditional therapies into one's overall healthcare plan. I believe that incorporating some of these principles and these adjunctive modalities into any doctor's practice might be beneficial for at least some patients. But I must again make it perfectly clear that I am a healthcare traditionalist. First and foremost, I follow the science. I need to disclose that I received my medical training at an osteopathic medical school, and thus, I am not an MD. I am a DO, a doctor of osteopathic medicine, an American-trained DO. I make this point because DOs from other countries are often more akin to chiropractors, and American-trained DOs are unequivocally trained in all of the traditional aspects of medicine and surgery. DOs receive all of the usual basic science and clinical training in medicine, surgery, obstetrics and gynecology, pediatrics, and all of the other usual medical disciplines. But DOs also receive a number of lectures on holistic medicine and receive several hours of hands-on training each week for two years covering all of the various modalities practiced in manipulative medicine. Thus, DOs receive training in a tiny portion of alternative healthcare, but this is all in addition to all of the traditional healthcare training received in the schools which offer the MD degree. American-trained DOs are licensed to practice all aspects of medicine and surgery, are eligible for postdoctoral residency training in every program, and DOs can be found in every state all across this country practicing in every specialty from family medicine to neurosurgery. Thus, DOs are not alternative healthcare practitioners, and I do not inherently have any special insight into alternative medicine. Interestingly, despite the fact that mainstream physicians are constantly changing, evolving actually, what they believe, what they recommend, and what they advocate, there are a lot of doctors out there who still will not even entertain anything considered as potentially alternative. But it doesn't do any of us any good to shutter our minds to what's out there. We need to at least be open-minded to the fact that alternative medicine is very popular and is embraced by up to 40% of all Americans. If our patients are taking alternative medications and are seeking the advice and the treatments of alternative practitioners, then it would be foolish for those of us who also care for those same patients to not at least have some idea as to what they are taking and what types of treatments they are undergoing. 
Everyone who holds an MD or a DO degree in this country received a traditional Western-based medical education and likely practices, at least in most part, traditional Western medicine. Most patients seek the services of a physician who practices traditional medicine, but more and more patients are seeking additional treatments in addition to standard medicine. And thus, they are advocates of what is actually called complementary medicine, whereby traditional and alternative approaches are both used. Alternative medicine, by definition, is often considered outside of the realm of traditional medicine and employs treatments which are used in place of standard medical therapies. Thus, one philosophy of medicine is substituted for another. However, many traditionalists are starting to incorporate bits and pieces of alternative medicine into their own patient care plans and are thus practicing what is correctly referred to as integrative medicine. Many of our nation's most prestigious healthcare institutions have in fact started integrative therapy programs and thus alternative medicine can no longer be ignored as even some of the doctors at the Mayo Clinic employ alternative therapies into their integrative practices. But I feel that it's important to point out that whereas there is without a doubt some good to be found in alternative medicine, because a lot of alternative medicine is largely unregulated, and because a lot of the claims made by the proponents of alternative medicine are scientifically unproven and often not based in hard science, some of it has been found to be downright harmful. Some alternative practitioners steer sick patients away from the traditional therapies proven to work and delude them into thinking that a completely substituted alternative care plan is as good or better. Whereas this may not matter much if one is trying to get over something very minor and not life-threatening, the consequences could be devastating if one turned down chemotherapy in lieu of an herbal elixir to treat cancer. I wouldn't have mentioned this if I wasn't personally aware of a number of patients with cancer who had previously chosen alternative medicine over traditional therapies. I met these patients after they realized that their alternative treatments had absolutely no effect on their cancer, and following a period of unchecked tumor growth, they then presented to my hospital desperately seeking help in crisis mode. Whereas when I was just starting out in healthcare, I really didn't think that alternative medicine had much of any real influence over the general population. I kind of thought of alternative medicine as healthcare for hippies, but the alternative healthcare crowd has grown tremendously. I clearly remember having a conversation with somebody many years ago who was passionately trying to convince me that the government was intentionally trying to give women breast cancer by lacing deodorants with known cancer-causing toxins. The same person also told me that the medical industry was intentionally withholding the cure to all cancer, merely to make themselves and the government wealthy. Whereas I initially thought that this was all some sort of a comical ruse, it was not. A lot of people believe this, and many out there still believe this. Alternative philosophies and products were specifically created to capture this crowd, but some of it was just a con job. Many medical conspiracy theories have evolved over the decades, and the alternative medicine disciples often latch right on. This propaganda should concern all of us, as it can manipulate very sick patients into refusing traditional, proven healthcare treatments, into exhausting their resources on something that has no prospects of curing anything, and in worst case scenarios, can lead to unnecessary death. There is no question that some alternative therapies do provide value, but countless people these days are seeking to push aside the traditionalists. Why is this? Well, some are simply not happy with traditional medicine. They feel that the traditionalists have, have failed them in some way. Some want more control over their own lives, choosing to distance them, themselves from the traditionalists' recommendations, which may limit their personal autonomy. And others seek alternative therapies 
believing that nature and the ancients who practiced alternative medicine long ago knew more about healthcare than do modern-day scientists and doctors. Whereas retreating to healthcare paradigms of the past may attract many who seek simpler and more glamorous times, know that all traditionalist physicians of the earliest 20th century were what we would most likely call by today's standards alternative practitioners. And some people simply don't trust mainstream anything these days and are specifically leery of government or the large industries who exert a lot of influence and control over their lives. Remember that by definition, alternative medicine replaces traditional medicine. Having been the personal witness to thousands and thousands of life-saving cures and excellent outcomes at the hands of, of traditional medicine, I believe that using alternative medicine as one's exclusive form of healthcare and abandoning all of the mainstream is foolish. Moreover, I definitely believe that there are some alternative therapies out there which can and perhaps should be integrated into all of mainstream traditional healthcare. I follow the science, and I strongly believe that if an alternative product such as an herbal supplement is promoted to have a particular beneficial effect, that there should at least be some legitimacy to those claims. I feel the same for all aspects of alternative medicine, in fact, and I also feel that way for all aspects of traditional healthcare as well. And whereas I've been critical of poor quality scientific and medical research publications, I will be as critical in my evaluation of the alternative health papers as well. In my opinion, it's never good to peddle false hope, especially to those who may be coerced by seductive practitioners or advertisements convincing people to spend money which they may not have. Citizens of our nation spend well over $30 billion on alternative health care. But in the end, virtually everyone eventually abandons alternative healthcare and turns to the traditionalists as there are no alternative healthcare hospitals. When patients get too sick or injured for the alternative practitioners to handle, they either die or they go to the hospital. Most patients go to the hospital, and every hospital, at least in the United States, is a traditional healthcare institution. Some of them incorporate some alternative programs or therapies, but virtually all of the doctors who have admitting privileges at any of our nation's hospitals are either MDs or DOs and thus have professional degrees in traditional medicine. Whereas I support all forms of healthcare which truly benefit those dealing with physical or mental illness, as well as the products, therapies, and lifestyle practices which have been proven to promote wellness and provide preventive benefits. I cannot endorse any aspect of healthcare which is unscientifically supported or proven to have no real benefit. I have comfort in knowing that the U.S. Public Health Service has a sub-agency within the National Institutes of Health called the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health, which evaluates alternative healthcare. This agency's stated mission is to define through rigorous scientific investigation the usefulness and safety of complementary and alternative medicine interventions and their roles in improving health and health care. This group looks at almost every alternative healthcare practice imaginable, from herbal supplements to magnet therapy, reviewing any previous research on each of the categories and subsequently issuing a summary of all that is known. This summary includes a therapy's intended use, its purported benefits, the quality of any research used to promote the therapy or product, and any possible safety issues which may have been unearthed. So if any of you may be interested in what our government's most revered research institution has learned about a particular alternative therapy you may be interested in, you can find a treasure trove of information which anyone with little or no background in healthcare or science should be able to discern at www.nccih.nih.gov.
Okay, so now that you know my general position on this topic, I think that a good way to dissect the nuances of alternative medicine would be for me to give a basic outline as to the various groups of alternative philosophies and disciplines out there that are being practiced. This includes the various forms of traditional alternative medicine, herbal and dietary supplement therapies, spinal manipulation, mind-body interactive techniques, energy medicine, and senses therapy. But first, I'm going to take a brief hiatus here to give my usual shout out to an aspect of healthcare which I feel deserves greatest accolades and is most exemplary of the good of healthcare in America. And in my opinion, no one or nothing is more deserving of this shout out than America's nurses. Nurses are the backbone of healthcare in America. Nurses are the special people in this world who provide the selfless, hands-on care to those who are sick, injured, or suffering. They care for people during their most vulnerable times, often attending to patients as healer, as counselor, and as patient advocate when there is no one else who could or would serve in those roles. Earning a nursing degree is no simple task. There is so much to learn in nursing school and beyond. Many do not realize that nurses continue their education long after receiving their diploma, as every state in the union requires that nurses complete continuous learning courses so as to maintain their licensure. But it's not their intelligence that impresses me most, but rather their exemplary work ethic as a whole. Every day I see so many nurses put up with things most doctors simply could not tolerate. As I've said before, I have watched nurses slave away for 12 or more consecutive hours in plasticized personal protective garments and hospital-grade masks, caring for COVID patients, MRSA patients, and a number of very sick patients with highly communicable diseases completely unable to care for themselves. Nurses are selfless servants. Nursing may seem glamorous to the outsider, but to those of us in the know, it is often anything but glamorous. Nurses bring lives into this world. Nurses save lives of those dying of disease or illness. And nurses are often the only ones that are holding a patient's hand when one breathes his or her last breath. Nursing is truly one of the most noble and respectable of professions. And we are also very fortunate as a nation to have some of the very best nurses in the world. I implore each and every one of you to seek out a nurse and to thank him or her for all that they do. In time, all of us will likely need a good nurse. And I'm grateful that we have so many out there who will undoubtedly help us when we will need them most. And thus, my shout out today goes to all the nurses who truly make healthcare in America something very, very good. And now, getting back on the topic of alternative medicine, I'm going to start by talking about the, tr the traditional alternative medicine systems of Ayurveda, traditional Chinese medicine, naturopathy, and homeopathy. Although these traditional alternative medicine systems are not the most widely embraced areas of alternative healthcare in this country when compared to the more popular herbal and dietary supplement consumers or the spinal manipulation seekers, these systems are the origins of alternative medicine and merit some discussion. These are medical systems or philosophies of healthcare which are not aligned with Western-style medicine but may have existed for hundreds of years and may be widely accepted as a standard of care in other nations. Ayurveda is one of the oldest medical systems known to man, beginning in India some 3,000 years ago, which focuses on using herbs and special diets to balance one's body, mind, and consciousness so as to prevent and to counter illness. Traditional Chinese medicine is somewhat similar to Ayurvedic medicine and uses herbal products and ancient techniques such as acupuncture and Tai Chi to restore a body's natural balance. Naturopathy, like the previous two alternative healthcare systems mentioned, uses dietary modification, stress-reducing techniques, 
and herbal products to help maintain and restore the health of the mind and the body. Naturopathy practitioners often prescribe a number of cleanses and flushes to allegedly wipe clean years worth of accumulated toxins, which is built up over time. Most of it seems to be in conflict with well-established anatomy and physiology, but remains extremely popular nevertheless. And finally, homeopathy is a very unconventional medical system developed over 200 years ago in Europe, which believes that the body can cure itself of disease if minimal, often trace amounts, of a disease-causing agent or toxin is administered to an individual. There is no reliable evidence that homeopathy is effective, yet it remains quite popular. So, what does the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health say about these traditional alternative medicine systems? The objective data does not support using them. To put it differently, the science simply isn't there. Whereas these practices may show some minor improvement in patients with osteoarthritis, certain types of musculoskeletal pain, and type 2 diabetes, because some of the products prescribed contain known toxins and there is little scientific evidence demonstrating any degree of real effectiveness, a healthy dose of skepticism is, is in order when seeking the practices of these alternative medical systems. So how is it that despite no real scientific evidence that these traditional alternative medical systems work, that they are so popular? Why do so many of their practitioners and patients alike claim that these philosophies of healthcare work? The answer is most likely the very popular force known as the placebo effect, where the beneficial effect of the drug or treatment cannot be attributed to the properties of the treatment or product itself, but must therefore be due to the patient's belief that it works. It is well established that the placebo effect can be very powerful and can in fact stimulate one's body to produce endogenous opioids, the body's own natural pain relieving substances, to produce a high in some instances and to relieve discomfort in many others. But don't discount the effects of a placebo. If someone has chronic pain from a source that is difficult to objectively identify, isolate, or measure, gaining relief by way of the placebo effect can be a real godsend. Thus, I believe that employing the components of the various traditional alternative medicine disciplines, which can provide pain relief, but does not cause harm, such as by way of toxic contaminants found in some of the traditional herbal products, some patients may achieve great benefit. However, traditional alternative medicine is not a substitute for traditional Western-style medicine, and I would strongly discourage anyone from believing that any of these alternative philosophies should be used as the exclusive manner in which to prevent and treat disease and illness. The next area of alternative healthcare I wish to discuss are the herbal and dietary supplements. This is such a huge area that it is now uncommon for me to see a patient who is not regularly taking at least one of the numerous herbal or dietary supplements out there. A number of pharmaceutical medications prescribed today are derived from naturally occurring plants, such as aspirin, pseudoephedrine, certain heart drugs, antibiotics, and even some chemotherapy agents. Thus, even the traditionalists rely on trees and plants sometimes. But some people believe that if a medicine was compounded or extracted from a naturally occurring source, then it must be safe to consume. And if it's, quote, natural, end quote, then there won't be any side effects or ill effects to whatever it is that they ingest. But of course, this is pure folly, as one of our nation's biggest problems is the opioid epidemic, and opioids, including heroin and morphine, are derived from the poppy plant, a naturally occurring substance. Coca leaves, when chemically purified and modulated, yield cocaine, another naturally occurring substance feeding another of our ongoing plagues on society. Cigarettes are derived from tobacco leaf, which everyone knows causes cancer. 
And of course, there are a number of other very toxic, naturally occurring substances, which are in fact poisonous, which nobody should ever desire to ingest, but they are in fact natural products. I'm well aware of the immense popularity of herbal products and dietary supplements, but I'm a bit amazed at how many people are willing to put something into their body just because someone claims that it will have some sort of an effect. Doctors like myself had a complete eight years of combined undergraduate and medical school training followed by another four to five years of residency training before we were allowed to independently practice medicine or surgery and prescribe medications on our own. And pharmaceutical grade products must be approved by the Food and Drug Administration before they can be sold at pharmacies and prescribed by physicians. And even though all approved drugs are subjected to a lengthy approval process, which includes chemical testing, animal trials, human trials, and an analysis of the risks, even this does not necessarily guarantee a drug's safety. But the herbal and dietary supplements widely disseminated and consumed by those who seek alternative products are not subjected to the FDA's same type of testing and approval process and are thus largely unregulated. And although many, if not most, of the herbal product and dietary supplement manufacturers will claim that research shows that their products are safe and effective, the research most of them refer to is more often than not full of bias and poorly conducted in general. Most of the alleged scientific research published in today's alternative health journals and online forums were not based on good, well-conducted, randomized, and controlled trials. Thus, most of the claims and recommendations made about these alternative products are often anecdotal and even spurious. In a nutshell, these claims, even when published in a scientific journal, are often misleading, maybe unreliable, or maybe downright fraudulent. Whereas herbal and dietary supplements may or may not benefit those who take them, the potentially dangerous or hidden side effects or the hidden effects of the substances not known to be within the product should concern those who categorically accept them as being safe. Let's start with the hidden side effects. When I am counseling a patient for elective surgery, I am obligated to describe the potential risks of the anticipated procedure, which includes bleeding. Neither patients nor surgeons like to deal with surgical bleeding, as this leads to wound hematomas, which are the breeding ground for infection, which can lead to wound failure and other serious complications. Most patients are familiar with which prescription drugs increase one's risk of bleeding, and I tell my patients to stay off of those particular drugs for a determined length of time prior to elective surgery so as to minimize the risk of bleeding and all the ensuing complications that accompany bleeding. I specifically ask patients which drugs they are taking, and I ask if they are taking any other drugs which they may have forgotten. But unless I specifically ask if they are taking any herbal medications or dietary supplements, they often don't disclose that information to me. Herbal and dietary supplements are drugs, people. If you didn't believe that they had some sort of effect on the body, you wouldn't be taking them. And I'm personally aware of at least a half dozen herbal and dietary supplements which increase bleeding by inhibiting platelet function. Interestingly, these are typically the products which claim to improve heart and brain function. Aspirin and a number of prescription antiplatelet medications out there are also used for the same purposes. If a product prevents platelets from sticking together, it's less likely that a small clot will form in the small arteries of the heart and brain. Thus, these may lower the risk of heart attack and stroke. But these drugs also promote bleeding, as platelets are the first line of defense in stopping bleeding. Dysfunctional platelets lead to more bleeding, and thus many people who take herbal or dietary supplements which cause platelet dysfunction may not realize that they are at increased risk of bleeding. And what about unknown substances that may be hidden among the active ingredients within the herbal or dietary supplement? 
I feel that a great product to illustrate this point is CBD. CBD products have exploded in popularity, both among the alternative crowd and also among those who primarily rely on traditional healthcare. I have heard and read claims that CBD oil and CBD candy can be used to treat nearly every malady known to man. But like every other product that claims to cure everything, this, of course, cannot be possible. So what is true and what is not true about CBD? Specifically, are there any unknown substances within all of the CBD products sold everywhere from alternative healthcare apothecaries to vaping shops and gas stations? Well, the answer is yes. The cannabis plant contains over 500 compounds, more than 100 of which are known as cannabinoids, which includes the cannabidiols, also known as CBD, and tetrahydrocannabinol, also known as THC. CBD is still in the process of being fully understood, but it does show promise in helping those suffering from anxiety, movement disorders, chronic pain, and perhaps epilepsy. Pure cannabidiol, CBD, has little, if any, psychoactive effects and thus produces no high when consumed. So why is there any reason to be concerned? It's because you never really know exactly what you're getting when you buy your CBD product. Over 100 CBD products were purchased from a variety of different vendors and were chemically tested to see exactly what was in each of the products sampled. Varying amounts of CBD were found in each of the products. Some of the products tested contained less than 3 to 5% of the CBD and 70% of the CBD products tested at the University of Pennsylvania had no detectable CBD at all. And low levels of THC were found in some of the CBD products, and a number of other non-CBD substances such as terpenes and flavonoids were identified, the effects of which are, are yet to be determined. And CBD adversely interacts with a number of pharmaceutical-grade drugs. For example, CBD increases certain levels of different types of antibiotics, anti-rejection medications, mood-stabilizing drugs, opioids, certain cardiac meds, and antiretroviral agents. Thus, you may think that taking an herbal product, any herbal product, is safer or better than a pharmaceutical-grade medication. The truth of the matter is that you really have no idea exactly what you are taking, how much of it you are taking, and what effects these products may have on other prescription drugs you are also taking. In the end, I believe that there are likely a number of very effective and useful herbal and dietary supplements, but because they are largely unregulated and harbor potential side effects which aren't widely known or talked about by, by the practitioners who dispense or sell them, I feel that the best advice to the consumer is to take these products with caution and to talk with your doctor or pharmacist about any possible side effects or interactions with any prescription drugs you also may be taking. And what does the Na National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health say about all this? They have over 60 different publications on various popular herbal and dietary supplements, and I suggest that you go to their site to read up on their opinions of these products should you choose to consume any of them. However, if you're looking for a quick answer, a summary of their guidance on these products mirrors all that I have just shared with you. Now, let's dive into the alternative health topic of spinal manipulation. Chiropractic is the profession which most exemplifies the alternative practice of spinal manipulation, but there are in fact plenty of physicians within traditional Western medicine, including both DOs and MDs, who add spinal manipulation to their array of offerings. Many physical therapists also perform manipulation techniques. Manipulation is, for the most part, synonymous with spinal manipulation or spinal manipulative therapy, but some practitioners manipulate the muscles and the connective tissues. Spinal manipulation involves a practitioner identifying a particular region that is out of alignment and 
then using his or her hands to apply a focused amount of physical thrust, the practitioner then readjusts the dysfunctional area. About 10% of the population seeks out a chiropractor or other practitioner who performs the manipulation, and the demand has in fact increased slightly over the past decade. The most common maladies treated with spinal manipulation are backache, neckache, and headache, but some practitioners claim to improve overall energy and immune function by way of successful manipulation. As I mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast, I received a limited amount of spinal manipulation training when I was in medical school, and whereas being a surgeon, I haven't performed manipulation in several decades, I did treat plenty of Marines back when I was a young military general medical officer prior to my specialty training. I believe that manipulation is great. It's a great adjunct to help patients remedy an aching back, and some of my colleagues who manipulated the neck also achieved great results. But in my opinion, spinal manipulation should be viewed as an adjunct rather than a complete and independent system of healthcare. Clearly, one who limits his or her practice to just manipulation cannot even begin to address a surgical issue such as acute appendicitis or cancer. Spinal manipulation cannot remedy the clogged arteries of the heart or the brain, nor can it cure any sort of infection. But unfortunately, a lot of providers whose practice primarily centers on spinal manipulation do not collaborate with traditional Western-style physicians. Chiropractors, for example, do not have a license to prescribe prescription medications, nor are they licensed to perform surgery. Rarely are chiropractors staff members at any hospital, and thus generally don't share x-ray results with the general medical community. Many, if not most, chiropractors prescribe a number of herbal and dietary supplements, and so, considering all that I just mentioned, they typically practice a truly alternative philosophy and form of healthcare. Whereas I'm not opposed to chiropractic or spinal manipulation performed by a trained provider, It is my opinion that it should be practiced as an integrative type of medicine rather than an exclusive alternative form of healthcare. Once again, referring to our nation's National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health, they assert that spinal manipulation is relatively safe when performed by a trained and licensed professional. Serious side effects are very rare, and thus you should feel comfortable receiving spinal manipulative therapy. However, you would be wise to disclose all of your health conditions and all of your traditional health care with your chiropractor or manipulative therapist. And in turn, you should disclose all of your chiropractic care with your traditional health care provider. The next group of alternative healthcare disciplines I'll be discussing are the mind-body interactive techniques. These include meditation, hypnotherapy, and biofeedback. Even most conventional physicians have come to realize that the mind and body are interconnected. Depressed patients often experience chronic pain, and chronic pain patients often become severely depressed. Eliminate one of the two, and the other often goes away. Patients undergoing treatment for a painful condition often experience less discomfort when these techniques are used. They learn how to acknowledge that the pain still exists, but by focusing on something else, that often leads to less perceived pain. Patients who have been practicing meditation and yoga, for example, have been shown to be able to tolerate submerging their hands into an ice bath for periods much longer than those who are not well-versed in meditation or yoga. These patients remain aware of the pain, but their mind learned to reinterpret the pain by repeatedly focusing on breathing in and breathing out over and over. One's mind begins to wander, and it is thought that by allowing a wandering mind to imagine something other than whatever noxious or unpleasant stimulus is causing stress, anxiety, or physical discomfort, brainwave patterns actually slow down or change. And whereas it's not entirely clear how this all works, it does provide relief for many people who use these techniques daily. 
Sometimes a practitioner may use objective measurement tools so that a patient can hear his or her heartbeat slowing down or watch the blood pressure reading decrease, all creating a positive feedback loop. Mind-body interactive technique practitioners do not claim to cure all psychological and physical ailments, and thus I feel that meditation, biofeedback, and hypnotherapy are perfect examples of alternative medicine which can perhaps be coupled with traditional Western-style medicine in an integrative fashion. The National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health is very supportive of mind-body interactive techniques and declares it to be a safe option for almost all people. There's a lot of good scientific evidence out there that it indeed is effective in helping reduce blood pressure and treating pain, anxiety, depression, and even helping control flares of ulcerative colitis and symptoms of irritable bowel syndrome. Energy medicine is another form of alternative medicine which I must admit seems a bit bizarre. Energy medicine practitioners believe that they can channel energy from their hands into and through their patients, somehow creating healing. Looking at it all from a scientific perspective, affecting healing using these methods seems completely implausible and the research doesn't indicate that it works. However, there are plenty of people who practice energy medicine and the variations of the discipline include therapeutic touch and several others. Or as it might seem that I should devote at least some time to this particular discipline of alternative medicine, I frankly don't understand any of it, and thus I'll leave it up to you to do your own research if you really want to know more. When I queried the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health website, the only information I could find on energy medicine pertained to Reiki, which the institution does not endorse as they find no scientific evidence supporting the existence of the energy field thought to play a role in this therapy. The final category of alternative healthcare that I'm going to discuss is senses therapy. Senses therapy is pretty much synonymous with aromatherapy, whereby one allows the scent of aromatic oils to travel through the nose, stimulating the emotional center of the brain called the limbic system to become activated. Similar to how one feels good when viewing a spectacular fireworks display or listening to pleasing music or soaking in a warm bath or eating a delectable meal, inhaling a satisfying aroma also creates pleasure and elevates mood. Whereas there's, there's very little well-performed scientific research out there on census therapy, the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health neither cautions nor endorses this form of alternative healthcare, but it seems relatively harmless in all likelihood. And thus, that concludes this podcast on alternative medicine. Whereas I remain a hard and fast advocate for traditional healthcare and for the science behind all that drives traditional medical practice, I do believe that certain aspects of the subjects I discussed can be incorporated into the overall healthcare plan in an integrative manner. As I am certain that there are plenty of physicians out there who may not be receptive to some or all of the alternative medicine therapies, I suggest that for all of you who wish to explore the alternative healthcare pathways, or for those who may be receiving ongoing alternative healthcare presently, that you have an open discussion with your primary care physician regarding all of your healthcare pursuits. Regardless of how you or your doctors feel about either of your opinions on the matter, open and honest discourse on all of your health-related concerns or issues is always in your, the patient's, best interest. And with that, I will sign off. I am Dr. James Cole, and this is Healthcare in America, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Thank you again for listening. This podcast and the rest of the podcasts in this series reflect my opinions and do not necessarily represent the positions of any other institution or entity. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to Marie Hathaway for the artwork and for producing this podcast. And I hope that you enjoyed the guitar music because that is me playing and taking my own creative liberties. And we hope that you will again join us for our next episode of Healthcare in America, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly.